Somehow he lasted three years. They hated to let him go. Without being able to say what he actually did around the place, everyone seemed to love him. A decade later, I had my first respectable gig with the Charles Rigby Quintet. I was starting to play all around the city, figuring out how to make it pay. My father was living in Florence, Oregon, where he worked as a load picker in a Costco, heaving cases of frozen fish sticks, throwing himself into it like one of the boys. At 52, his essential directionlessness had stranded him in cold storage. In this regard, direction, unswerving direction, our lives had become counterpoint. So, how's the musician's life? We talked every fortnight, noon on Sunday, faithful to a schedule, if nothing else. The Rigby groups gearing up to tour. Charles is finalizing dates for Europe. Europe! The grand tour, huh? That's fantastic. Jesus. The kid's going to Europe. <laughs> Mom would be over the moon, Timmy. Why couldn't he just say he was proud of me? Why did he have to summon the specter of a woman I barely remembered? How's the deep freeze treating you? He hesitated. He didn't love to talk about his work. Just think warm. That's what I tell myself. <laughs> think Bermuda. Hawaii. Can't daydream too much, though. All the activity around the warehouse. Actually, he said, hopefully, I've been hunting up new opportunities. They say things are really happening in the day trading thing. <laughs> That's great, Dad. Uh, good luck with that. I tried to sound like I meant it, then failing, tried to joke. <laughs> you always seem to have beginner's luck. My father trusted in a world where a man, a well-meaning man, could get a well, good-paying job. He believed in being in the right place at the right time. After I went off to music school, he sold our house in and followed his soon-to-be ex-girlfriend out to the Pacific Northwest, seduced by the notion of sucking himself to the sleek, ravenous computer industry, like a remora to a shark. While I studied the sacred rhythms of the Yoruba, he was speculated on domain names in the stampede of the late 90s. He scored big with Beanie Babies, but softmicro.com and the United States of America.net never paid off. While I was making pilgrimages to the Blue Note, the Vanguard, and Smalls Club, he was driving an Econoline van around the Pacific Northwest selling artisanal memorials and headstones. The catalog stuff was too impersonal, he argued. As I graduated, he started recruiting college kids as exterminators. 
I think he considered this his low point. He would go lower. <laughs> he traded the van for a VW custom painted with a termite and the words high paying summer jobs. What's the latest from the bandstand? Not much. S-O-S. Same old shit. For once, I didn't want to talk music. Charles Rigby fucked me over, hiring cheaper German sidemen for the European tour. I thought I was on the cusp, about to be recognized as one of the cats. Turned out, I was disposable. I wanted to lick my wounds, but I had to spend Sundays teaching lessons, listening to suburban brats bash along to corrosion of conformity and godsmack. What's the weather you're in? I said. Summer's what you, sunnier than you think. And he's a vacation, right? <laughs> exactly. My father laughed. Though it wasn't funny. But most days, it's gray as the afterlife out here. Anyway, I gotta catch a cat nap. I'm on second shift. Well, stay warm, I said. The phrase that back home in the frozen north meant both goodwill and goodbye. I was trying to teach Brandon, my best student, Four-limb independence. This is jazz stuff. <laughs> he said, throwing down his sticks. What's the point of all this? <laughs> I asked him patiently if he'd heard Black Sabbath. Yeah, bro, he said. They're like the source of everything. <laughs> Heavy. <laughs> well, they came up on jazz. Django, Count Basie, Gene Krupa, hell. The first Sabbath lineup had a guy playing tenor sax. Here, I said, sitting behind the kit and playing the first fill from War Pigs. That's Bill Borg. And this the intro to the first cut on Caravan is Art Blakey. What's the difference? The difference is Bill Ward tippy-tapped the drums and Blakey hit them. Brandon scowled. This was all deeply uncool. Halfway to the gig, my phone vibrated in my pocket. Dad. I let it go to voicemail. But when I checked my messages, it wasn't my father, but an unfamiliar, official-sounding voice saying my name was top of Dad's call history. There'd be an accident at the warehouse. I arrived from the airport at the end of visiting hours, and they set me up on a cot in Dad's room. He'd grown his mustache back out, gray now, along with a beard. His hair was shaggy, and he sat on his head strangely, like a wig. 
You look like you're in disguise, I said when the night nurse woke him. He smiled distantly, like someone searching for a memory. What? I said. You thought I didn't, I wouldn't come? They laid him out with serious pain medication, and he was delirious. Grape juice, he said, wetting his lips to push the words out. God damn frozen grape juice. <laughs> what happened was that the shift manager at the loading bay had sent him deep into the stacks of, arriving, of an arriving load of, to pluck out a case of juice concentrate. Someone had stacked the pallet badly. Half the order toppled. A younger man with swifter reactions would have dodged. My father took it between his shoulders. Right place, right time. I slept deeply next to him, blessed the silence of that hospital wing. I didn't get much silence in my life. But in the small hours I woke, aware of someone watching me. Dad sat on the edge of his bed in a gown that came to mid-thigh. His hands clutched the bed frame, his knuckles chapped and bruised. All that work in the freezer, like he'd just gone a few rounds. Beginner's luck, huh? He said, looking so intensely at me. I thought he, he must be seeing someone else. The fuck's that supposed to mean? <laughs> Pop, I said, you're high out of your mind. What's it mean? Well, you, you got lots of enthusiasm. Make friends easy. People like you, I guess. How do you live? He strained forward like he was going to grab me, and then suddenly sprang upright, seized by his spasming back, the cords of his neck popping. How do you live without Constance? He repeated when I settled him down. Any what? I can't start from scratch again. I can't. Well, what are we doing here? Come on, let's get out. He started up again. But I pushed him back down, gently. You want another shot? I'll, I'll call for, for, them to, uh, for another dose of the good stuff. Mom's here, he said, matter-of-factly. Can you feel her? She just came in. I know, Dad. She's here. I'm right here beside me. I, I thought to go get the night nurse, but then I just sat there sort of rubbing and petting his hand. Finally, I held it. I don't know how long. Long enough for the world to shrink to that one room, the fog curling past the window, one horizon. The hallway with its faint green glow, the other. My mother. I suppose if she were, was anywhere that night, except underground, she was there with us, dancing between the vapor of my father's breath and my own, born up again, if only for a last few minutes. 
In the morning, Dad was himself again, flirting with the nurses, play-acting the stoic, enfeebled old man giving himself into their tender care. <laughs> A doctor wearing Converse All-Stars blew in and described some beautiful things. Physical therapy, deep tissue massage, acupuncture. You have discomfort, he said. So I want to think about ways we can manage that. Dad just grunted. I could already see the big tub of icy hot re-emerging onto his bedside table. When I was little, Dad would dab it on the tip of my nose. Icy, then hot, he'd say, while I giggled uncontrollably. When visiting hours started, his co-workers began filing in. He had plenty of work buddies. Just four months, and he was already like a mascot. The shift manager showed around noon. We hate seeing these kinds of accidents, he kept saying. We just hate them. This man, I understood, was the company's messenger. He could smell the Freon coming off him. He asked Dad a hundred little questions. How's the food? You got enough pillows? Why don't you take, uh, take a few weeks? Take your time, rest up. Don't you push yourself too hard. Dad turned to me, his expression helpless. You met my son, he said. He's one of the best jazz drummers in the country. Come on, Dad, I protested modestly. You like jazz? My dad asked his boss. Uh, sure, yeah. <laughs> All that jazz? <laughs> My phone vibrated, showing a long, strangely formatted number. Europe? I hesitated. Oops, I said on the fourth ring. I, I got to take this. I went into the hall. It was Charles Rigby telling me that Ernst, the Bavarian drummer he'd replaced me with, couldn't swing for shit. <laughs> Mr. Tim, Charles said in that legendary raspy voice, get your white ass over here. <laughs> Okay, Charles. Uh, sounds good. Sounds good. Listen, we'll talk soon. I snapped the phone shut on him mid-sentence. They've been in meetings all morning. The shift manager was telling Dad when I came back in. They're taking this seriously. I mean, you got him on the ropes. Dad was hardly listening. You'll have discomfort, sure, but this kind of thing, well, you'll never have to work another day in your life. Dad set his jaw, trying to harden himself. But I was there to see. The instant it began, the waste setting in. Over the next two years that he had left, he started maybe 20 different armchair hobbies. Seagram's whiskey and Winston's cigarettes were two of them. <laughs> But they weren't what killed him.
The nurses came in and, and kicked us both out so that they could change the sheets and clean Dad up. I'll be right back, Pop, I said. I'm going to go and pick up some of your stuff. In the hallway, the shift manager shook my hand. I'll look out for your name, he told me. I got directions to Dad's apartment on the outskirts of town, where I picked up a change of clothes, some books and magazines, and a few other things to keep him distracted. As I drove through the misty streets of Florence, I did the math. If I got a flight out of PDX by early evening, I'd be in time to meet Charles at the Dusseldorf Jazz Rally. It wouldn't be a question of asking Dad's forgiveness, and he, of all people, would understand. The apartment was tidy and small, exceptionally small. Dad had built shelves on almost every wall, and his rooms breathed the fresh, astringent smell of bare pine. I went into the bedroom and picked up a couple of flannel shirts. He had nothing but work clothes. In the dresser, his underwear was ironed and perfectly folded. Oh, he had time on his hands. I threw together an overnight bed as, bag as, as quickly as possible. I was rushing now. It was going to be a matter of minutes, not hours. But then, hurrying out, I stopped. Framed by a small library of sci-fi paperbacks were photos, certificates, ribbons, a little trophy of a man wailing on saxophone. Outstanding soloist, the plaque said. He built a shrine for me, like he'd built one for, to my dead mother in our old house. A photo of me sitting front row at a club, watching Elvin Jones play, leaning over intently, studying his every move. Another of me unpacking my first drum set. A dumb, dumb teenage drawing of a concert, flames shooting up from the stage, every spotlight on me. What can be said about it? I, there was no time to linger. And I felt embarrassed and shy to see that here, in this obscure corner of nowhere, I'd already made it. <laughs>